Ah, Ryan, we are live with The Readdown, hosted by the Stonewall Democratic Club. My name is Alex Mahajer. We are hosts. We are joined today by our co-panelists, Ryan Basham and Jonathan Welch, and our very, very special guest panelist, Brandon Wolf. Brandon is joining us from Florida. He is a survivor of the Pulse nightclub shooting and has become a very profound activist in the LGBTQ space and in the gun reform space. So let's all welcome Brandon Wolf. Thanks for joining Yay, us, Brandon. Brandon. I can also Thank attest you. to Brandon has excellent suit game. He ah. always comes well dressed. <laughs> Thank you. I, you listen, yeah. this is you gave me a reason to put a shirt on today, so I'm good. Hey, you know. <laughs> um, and, and for those of you watching the live stream, this is the first time we have uh, taped while broadcasting live. So you are in on something special. I hope you feel special because, of course, you are. Um, so uh, as uh, Alex said, welcome to The Read Down. This is your weekly progressive political hot take by the Stonewall Democratic Club. Um, on this episode, we'll be reading down the group effort to take down Trump and Republican senators, the insular Trump campaign and the fallout from the, co uh, well, the new fallout from COVID-19. Uh, we're opening the library to read the GOP for filth and giving you the rundown on the latest 2020 developments. Um, let's dive into some big democratic energy, shall we? This is celebrating the biggest democratic flexes of the week. Um, you know, so for some reason, oil companies like to lay some pipe, and it's just not working out for them right now. Um, uh, the uh, the Dakota pipeline at, has been shut down temporarily, possibly permanently. Um, it's very likely that while it goes through its court machinations, it's going to stay shut down for the remainder of Trump's term. Um, but this is a big win. And at the same time, another natural gas pipeline that was meant to run from West Virginia, where my parents are from, through the Appalachian Mountains, where I grew up, to North Carolina has been abandoned. So can we just talk about some big wins for uh, saving the earth and not destroying um, the landscape just to get some fossil fuels through it? Yeah. Who's taking me? I'm happy to take Run, it. Do it. it. Go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, first of all, shout out to indigenous people and activists who've been doing this work for a really long time uh, and have faced some pretty horrific treatment. If we remember uh, how people were treated, um, you know, throughout this whole process, it's been it's been horrific. It's been inhumane. Uh, so shout out to the people who've been doing this important work for some time. Um, and also shout out to our government and specifically Republicans in office um, who are so inept that they are incapable of doing anything without running into a snag or a snafu um, that runs the whole thing into the ground. I mean, we've seen the same with Supreme Court wins in the last couple of weeks, uh, specifically, and I'm thinking about DACA, for instance, um, was so badly botched by the federal government that the Supreme Court had no choice but to strike down the effort from the federal government. So um, shout out to activists, shout out to those who are doing the work on the ground, organizing for this win. Also shout out to our totally uh, incompetent and inept leadership on a federal level uh, for giving us this win. Um, and, you know, and I think this leaves us with an opportunity specifically with, uh, with democratic leaders, um, you know, we have to be moving into the future on energy policy in this country. Um, I remember, or maybe I don't remember, or my dad told me about it, uh, but a time when America took pride in, in leading on these things, right? America took pride in leading on manufacturing. America took, America took pride in leading on IT and tech in the 80s and 90s. 
where is that American leadership right now? America has an opportunity to lead in the space of green energy. We have an opportunity to push back against, you know, centuries of fossil fuel control in this country. Um, we have to we have to do something different. This allows us an opportunity. And Democrats, for me, are the clear leaders in this space. I think we got to seize on this opportunity. Well, it's also a diminishing opportunity too. Let's be clear. If we don't jump on this now, China is going to be the leader in green energy and we're going to be playing catch up. Okay. So no, to what Brandon was saying, you know, we do have uh, the activists to thank, but one of the things that I think it always comes back to this for me is that the election is just so vital because if we don't do, if we don't win across the board, then all of these things, the, the the inept decisions that the administration is making, we will have a judiciary before long in place that's just going to let all of this stuff pass through. That's their whole goal. So we kind of have to reverse course on that. And on top of that, one thing that's going to help everything and aid uh aid our place in green energy, as Brandon was saying, is passing a Green New Deal. So getting, of course, renewable energy sources to the forefront and making sure that we're putting investments in all of these areas where we have an opportunity to actually, one, lead, but also bring people back to work and cancel out some of these fossil fuel companies that are rabid about uh, wanting Republicans to be in charge and are hoping that Donald Trump wins so that they can get right back to it come January. You know, the thing that really, like my, I, both my parents are from West Virginia. A lot of my cousins, my aunts and uncles live there, live in coal country, come from coal country. And the, 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 the fossil fuel industry has done a really great job of indoctrinating folks in these places into thinking that the fossil fuel is their only pathway to a livable wage, the, um, their only pathway to the middle class. And and, and, for, and to be fair, in a lot of places in, in West Virginia, in uh, Southwest uh, Virginia, in, in Kentucky, the options are uh, work in the coal mine or sell drugs. So it's not that it's not true. But at the same time, it wouldn't, it's not that expensive to retrain people to build solar panels. And once you have a job building solar panels, it pays better. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, yeah. it's not like we can't replace these dying coal jobs. So green energy already employs 10 times as many people as coal in this country. There's no reason why we can't get in there and really make this change for good. But, you know, I mean, fossil fuels also spending energy trying to keep solar panel plants out of those same places so that those same people are stuck only working in the coal mines or selling drugs. And, and, and the only thing we can do about that is make sure we have a government in place that's not letting it happen. And that's why we need to vote in November. And also localizing those efforts. So make sure that the new administration um, and, you know, whoever is in charge of, of implementing these policies goes ahead and focuses on these areas that would be hardest hit by us removing coal jobs. So let's actually localize those efforts to West Virginia, to Kentucky, to these states that that could see a massive turnaround in culture and and basically change the landscape and the makeup of that of that state. Or but those to your, to was, your point, go ahead. yeah, to your point, Ryan, um, this starts at the top for me, and, and you've got to have a leader in the president of the United States who not only cares about the environment, who's not only interested in listening to scientists, but cares about what happens to people in West Virginia. You've got to have a president who not only cares about what's ha what happens to people in West Virginia, but also understands what it's going to take 
to lift West Virginia in the process of us moving to sustainable energy in this country. I am not convinced, and I don't think people in this country are convinced that Donald Trump or anyone like him has anywhere near the mental faculties to be able to make decisions that would benefit people in West Virginia around clean energy. Uh, I don't think he understands anything above the baseline talking points that he's been given by his team. And that's why it's really, really important that we stay focused on who are we electing in November? Um, because that person dictates policy decisions across the country. That person is going to have to put this country back together. That means they're going to have to have an understanding of how this country works and a level of empathy and caring for the people inside this country. Mm. Well, on that topic, Amen. can we talk about the Lincoln Project and Republican voters against Trump oh, and their let's. incredible ads? Oh, okay, <laughs> Alex, you first. What? So, tell, me, tell me your favorite thing about this right now. So the Lincoln Project is, I believe, on Twitter at... at Project Lincoln, conservative group, I believe identifies as Republican conservative, an anti-Trump group that is putting all of us liberal and progressive advocacy organizations to shame with their messaging. They are releasing these ads that are so well done and whoever is running their social media account needs a raise because they are trolling Trump on the daily in a way that is just for those of us that are like maybe feel gaslighted for the past three and a half years on the daily by this president. It's just sort of entertaining to see them just so um, just so on point with their messaging. But aside from that, the messaging is is extremely poignant. I mean, they're doing the ads about the Russian uh, this story that came out about the Russian bounties on American troops and Trump doing nothing. And they are releasing more damning ads than anyone, uh, any one of us could dream of. And frankly, because it's a conservative group, it's getting under the president's skin. Mm. And I think making an, a, a real, real impact in the messaging, because as we know, this is going to be an all messaging election. It's, we're all at home. And, you know, there's no such thing as door knocks this election. So I yeah. think it's really effective and everyone should check it, check it out. And they, they speak conservative too, right? So they not only are they like getting under Trump's skin, which is great, but they're also using the words and the language and the tone that conservative people resonate with. They're speaking to their own people. One of my favorite things they're doing, okay, so they're doing like six thousand, you know, six figure ad buys in Kentucky against Mitch McConnell, but they're also doing huge ad buys in the DC area, specifically so, and on, you know, specifically on Fox, specifically so that Trump will see them because part of their strategy is de to deliberately get under his skin, which I think is incredible. It's excellent. I have to I have to wonder though, and I don't want to rain on this parade because I also I'm love the project. I know, I'm sorry, I'm raining yeah. on I'm like- Somebody has my, to, it's okay. Half my glass of wine in here, I've got to be the uh, the Megan McCain of the group, but I just have to wonder- no. <laughs> oh, Listen, we, we just filmed a promo where we make a point of having no Megan McCain, but like we can go back on our word. So go yeah, ahead. So ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is Brandon's last time. Yeah, first, first and last yeah, invite on do. the show. Um, no, I just have to wonder is, you know, is the strategy of viral Twitter videos and you know, putting things on ad buys in Washington DC on Fox News, is that actually going to change 
the outcome of the election because you know people like my dad are, are Trump supporters or have been, um, and they're the ones who need to hear these messages. They're the ones who need to be presented with facts over and over again. They're the ones who need to be reminded that their lives today are not better than they were three and a half, four years ago when we elected this man. They're the ones who need to hear it. And my dad is not in the Washington DC area. Uh, he's not, you know, he's not in one of these seats like Mitch McConnell's seats. Um, he is in Portland, Oregon, you know, for instance. But there are people across the country, uh, I think, in these conservative pockets that could be moved if they heard the messaging of groups like Republicans Against Trump and Project Lincoln. Um, but I just wonder if those things are actually breaking through. Every time it gets 100,000 shares, or I'm sorry, retweets. Here I am like talking like I don't know social media. Every time one of those videos gets 100,000 retweets, um, that is a very, very small fraction of the electorate. I mean, Donald Trump won Florida by 113,000 votes. So 100,000 100, retweets is not gonna cut it. Uh, I just wonder, is this messaging actually breaking through where it has to to, to impact the election? Yeah, I think that's a good point. But also, I just wanna say, some of the most effective campaigning that happened in 2016 and you know if there but for the all the interferences and interventionism that cost us 77,000 votes in those three swing states we would all be here saying that Hillary Clinton ran one of the most effective campaigns in history won more votes than any other presidential candidate in history second only to Barack Obama but because of the electoral college loss there's been this skewing of this message to sort of suggest that she lost and try to lay the blame and look she won 3 million more votes it was a it was a, a an abhorrent fluke of our system that led to Trump's election. And because of that, I think it's really worthy to look at how Hillary ran her campaign and look at the way 19 Republicans during that primary in 2016 could not defeat Donald Trump. But it was Hillary Clinton who got up on three debate stages and knew exactly how to needle him and get underneath his skin and make him by 30 minutes into each of those debates. He was so frustrated and angry and so uh embarrassed to be humiliated on the world stage by a woman that he would just implode. And I think that there is something to be said for Hillary's camp and the way they prepped for those debates because they knew that he could he he was triggered by being insulted by a woman. They knew what he was triggered by. And I think that it is maybe effective to get under his skin and let him show the American people just in we can see it on the day to day when he gets up on screen. And I think most people have a very uh, negative reaction to the way he's handled our coronavirus and the recent Black Lives Matter protests. So I hear what you're saying. Very good point. And I do think we should be conscious of what audiences we're trying to target. But I think also get under his skin and let him show the American people just how, what a looney tune he is when confronted with any viable challenge to his authority or to his, you know, in, innate and unending wisdom, you know, the stable genius, as it were. So well, that's my thoughts. Speaking of walking and chewing gum at the same time, though, can we also talk about how more and more Senate ra races in red states are proving to possibly be winnable? I mean, look, I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want to assume the best ever, but it's possible we could take down Joni Ernst in Iowa. It's possible to win in states like Montana. And, and, and so, so, how do we should we be even focusing on these races? Should we invest resources and time and energy into these races? What do y'all think? Yeah, we run everywhere. You cannot look at any office up and down the ballot in any state in this country and and not put our best foot forward and our best candidates out there. We have to run 
everywhere and it's proving to work. So, you know, obviously, and I wanted to touch on the Lincoln project too, because I kind of feel like, and this all ties together, everybody kind of has to pick a lane. So you have to pick like what, what you're going to work on and how you're going to work on it. So I think that they're doing an incredible job in actually selecting, um, their lane and and how they're going to approach it. So they're doing part of the work. So we're all pitching in and we're figuring out where to do the work. And these Senate campaigns have a lot of opportunity. So, I mean, like Joni Ernst, for instance, take her. She is, she went on CNN recently, I think this weekend, and she made a comment in 2014 when she was running for her first term that Barack Obama uh, was a failed leader because two people died of Ebola. And now you have 130,000 plus p- Americans who have died of coronavirus. And she says she thinks Trump is stepping forward. And I just think Reap that people- what you sow. Yeah. And, you know, I just think that people in Iowa are tired of seeing something like that because this is actually affecting them. It's affecting everybody. You have people in Maine who are tired of their perceived independent leader in Susan Collins not being independent and actually like towing the party line. And, um, and they don't like that. I am from a half hour South of Maine. I know that Mainers love their independence and they love to be on the right side of things. So there, there's nothing but opportunity. You have Steve Bullock in Montana, who's super popular as the governor uh, running against Steve Daines, someone that I think most Montanans are like, wait, who, you know? So I think, um, (laughs) So, yeah, I think that we would be foolish not to focus on any of these. And if you look at like South Carolina, which seems like it would be kind of far fetched, like Trump has made Lindsey Graham look really stupid over the past four or five years. And Jamie Harrison, his opponent, just pulled in thirteen point nine million dollars in a fundraising hall for for one quarter in South Carolina. So we have to we have to do everything we can to get these people elected, because all we need to do is flip really four seats. Yeah, and it is yeah. and and it is Donald Trump, right? I think you really hit it there at the end that it is Donald Trump that is forcing Republicans into a really precarious position, right? You've got all these people who've been able to hide behind the compassionate conservative thing that George W. Bush was pushing for so many years, right? This kind of phony like moral high ground. Um, Donald Trump has exposed all of that. So for better or worse, I think, you know, Donald Trump has put Republicans on blast in a way that they haven't ever been put in before. And I think the other thing that Donald Trump has done is, again, for better or worse, he has cued people into the importance of races down ballot. I have been so inspired, especially here in the state of Florida, to see people more engaged up and down the ballot than I've ever seen them. They're talking about you know, not just president, not just Senate races, but they're talking about congressional races and state house races and city commissions and county commissions. They're showing up to meetings, asking questions about police budgets. These are things that people were not doing four years ago because politics felt far away. I was one of those people who just felt like politics was far removed from my everyday life. Donald Trump has thrust politics in our faces every single day for four years. You cannot go one day without for, without uh, understanding or realizing or being made aware of the fact that Donald Trump is our president. So I again, I think that he's forced Republicans into a really difficult position, thankfully. Uh, I think these Senate races are absolutely winnable across the country. Uh, and I do think 
you know, he has allowed for an opportunity for people to be more engaged with the political process than at least I've ever seen them. Well, it's like and you I, said, Jonathan, uh, I just want to say, point out something yep. Jonathan said a couple weeks ago, which is, you know, the vote doesn't necessarily trickle down from the top of the tick, from the top of the ticket, mm. but it does trickle up. So it does make sense for some of us to adopt, like Jonathan suggested before in a previous episode, a specific Senate race and make it yours and make that where you're investing your energy because those votes from dog catcher all the way up do trickle up, even if the top of the ticket doesn't necessarily trickle down. And sorry for whoever I just interrupted. Well, no, no okay. I just want to say, you know, I think it's Brandon makes a great point about the down ticket races. What's really, really important is some of these down ticket races and why it's important to win these down ticket races in state legislatures and other uh, you, what you would think are not national elections is that these are the uh, local and state governments that are responsible for passing something like a uh, interstate electoral uh, electoral college uh, voter compact, a popular vote compact, which is require requires a certain amount of state legislatures to sign on. Do you want to get rid of uh, the electoral college? Well, there's a way to do it. If enough states can sign on to this compact and agree to give their votes to the popular vote winner, then you can do it, and you can do it constitutionally. And we have uh, so many states that are, have already signed on. Now, this is just one example, but one of the very, very many reasons that you can uh, really see demonstrable change happen by electing Democrats down ticket. So if, you, and as Jonathan, Jonathan said a couple of weeks ago, if you don't have a race that maybe in the presidential, you don't love the presidential candidate, but you're gonna go vote for Joe Biden, you know, get amped up about one of those local state races, one of those local municipality races, something like your uh, state Senate race, and go out there and pour your heart out to make that race happen because those votes do trickle up. And frankly, when this election is over, this work is not done. And maybe that is a part mm. of the failure of our mm -hmm. side um, after Barack Obama's election and just and just as a uh, overall mentality is we have work to do still. Joe Biden, this November, that's just the beginning of the work. Then the, our job is to put our the uh, flames to the feet of the people that we've put in there to make sure that they do what we put them there to do and end generations of this circular inaction in Washington and this politic mm -hmm. playing. If, and we have to get ready to show through the vote that we will throw you out right away if you're not doing what you set out to do. And frankly, if you want to get big corporate money out of politics, you got to elect Democrats because they're the only party of the two that are going to make any or are even proposing any action. H.R. 1, it was passed in the United States House of Representatives in, this, in the very beginning of this Congress. It sits in the graveyard of bills on Mitch McConnell's desk. And if you want to get that kind of elections reform, you got to elect Democrats and we got to do it now. Time is of the essence. So, mm. well, Jonathan, did you have something too, on this for move on? I do, because, you know, if you look back at history, I think of like uh, Donald Trump's presidency, almost like Jimmy Carter's in a way where we had eight years of Republican rule under Nixon and Ford. And then you had this like blip of Carter and then what Reagan and all of his followers called the Republican Revolution. Um, so why don't we call this what this is? Because we had Barack Obama and now we have this fluke of Donald Trump, we hope, and we're working towards it. We need to build a progressive revolution. We need to build mm. the blue wave to be a longstanding um, political era in our country. Mm. So what we have to do, and it's organizations like ours at Stonewall, also, you know, groups like Swing Left and Indivisible, they've created Quality a drive. Florida. I'm sorry. 
Equality Florida is uh, Equality Florida. Yeah. So like, um, you know, these organizations are really um, keeping people involved and ensuring that the work doesn't end in November and that we don't really rest, that we hop right back in and we figure out what's coming next, because that's how we end up winning. That's how we end up building that that blue wave that that continues going into 2022 2024 mm. the odd number years the local elections like people are doing the work and i'm encouraged yeah, yeah you know that was, and sorry i just you know you you talk about a progressive wave right and a progressive revolution it's right there right all the pieces are there progressive policies are popular across the country they work you look at oklahoma who just passed a referendum to expand Medicaid in their state. And this is, you know, in the midst of Donald Trump's presidency. Um, po progressive policies are popular across the country. And I think that that's what has Republicans so scared is that if Democrats can find the right angle, if they can find the right leaders at the right time, lightning strikes, all of these progressive policies become the future of our country. Um, and that's exactly how it should be. So we've got an unparalleled opportunity in this moment uh, to capitalize on what is already sweeping the country. And that is mm. the belief that for way too long, corporations and big moneyed interests have run things in Washington, DC. We need real substantive change from leaders who want to get something done for the American people. You're feeling it across the country. The opportunity is there. Democrats, as a voting bloc, as leaders, as politicians, simply have to seize on it. We just got to run with it. It's like, it's not just a blue wave, it's a tsunami. And it's a tsunami that changes the landscape of the shoreline. And there's after tsunamis and after tsunamis. It take, we got to be in this for the long haul. I, I'm reminded, by the way, there's going to be a Senate runoff in January in Georgia. And if we want Kelly Loeffler to not have a Senate seat anymore, we still have to be paying attention and getting people out to vote in January. But, but there's so much, Who, by the way, you know, insider trading, we're on to you, Kelly. Yeah, we're watching. Yeah. I, I think it takes her three hours to blow dry her hair, by the way. Um, uh, oh, so I, misogynist Ryan, that was beneath you. You're right. It's been, I, I would, I would apologize Hillary to Kelly. Would be you displeased. Know, I, I, I won't apologize to Kelly, but I will apologize to Hillary. Um, <laughs> um, sure. I'll do better. Um, sure. so can we talk just briefly before we talk about some COVID-19 stuff that Amy Cooper, the woman who, uh, called mm. the police on, on, uh, a black man in central park is now being charged with, I believe it's false reporting to the police. Mm -hmm. mm. And you know, what, you know, going what, down left and right. I mean, that's the it's the machine wasn't enough. You know, if it's not the it's it's like the dawning of the age of the Cairns being taken down, you know? And and also, by the way, that guy, you know, he's a pioneer in incorporating queer characters into comic books. Did you know that? He's like he's like a he's oh, he's like a, a Christian like, Cooper. Christian Cooper. He's yeah. a he's a he's a queer nerd legend. Uh so you know, Karen picked the wrong guy to, you know, mess with. Yeah. Sorry, Karen. I have to say, part of the last few weeks that I've found very satisfying is this new, you know, I think cancel culture can be very problematic, but I also think do think that there is a space and a place for societally shaming views and behaviors that are no longer acceptable in any Western society. So when I see a Karen, there's one of a of a woman in, I believe, Sacramento type area using the N-word right to this woman's face. And she gets decked in the face and it goes viral, you know, and I, you know, I'm not a proponent of violence, but there's something deeply satisfying to me about that woman 
publicly being shamed for her views because I think for far too long, we've been very silent about this rampant racism and misogyny and all these other forms of just of, of microaggressions against people that are marginalized or that people that are disadvantaged in any way. And it's just like sort of like the dawning of a new era when we see so mm. it's just so quickly Twitter is on it. You post one video of that lady in the convenience store being awful to another human being. And that goes viral. And, and within an hour, you know who she is, where she lives, what her company is. And yeah, that company should go down. Yes, that school district should know that one of their teachers was doing this to a little girl on the street and scaring her and saying she's going to kill her. That's not acceptable behavior. And mm -hmm. to me, it's a form of justice. And if our justice system isn't going to do it, then let the people do it. That's how I feel. And I'm not sorry about it. Well, on the guy in the Costco that we saw this weekend who was, uh, you know, he was uh, yelling at and threatening and saying that he felt threatened by an elderly person who asked him to put a mask on. And he was wearing that shirt ruling the world since 1776, which is historically inaccurate um, at, at the least. And he was just going on and on. He's lost his job. Twitter, like, identified him. His company fired him. And... I'm sure further repercussions will happen. You know, I'm not a fan of taking of, of cancel culture either, but I, and I also, you know, the, there's a lot of research has been done into teaching by shame and generally speaking, shame doesn't change people's beliefs or behaviors. It just kind of makes them go underground. However, if we don't make an example when we have the opportunity to, how else do we teach? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear you. Uh, and I definitely agree. I think accountability is, is so key right now, especially, especially when it's someone who claims to be an ally, as Amy Cooper did. Amy Cooper, you know, self-identifies as a white liberal who lives in New York City, who self-identifies as, you know, not being racist, not having a racist bone in her body. Um, account accountability is really important, especially for those who claim to be our allies. But I will just say this, you know, I am not only an LGBTQ person in America, I'm also a black man in America. Um, and what I want to caution people is, that in this moment, we cannot make Amy Cooper the bad apple, that we have made police officers who are one-offs for so long. Um, we can't let people off the hook because Amy Cooper did something bad one day in Central Park. The reality of the, the, reality of the situation is that Amy Cooper, a woman who claims to be an ally to the African-American community, a woman who claims to be a liberal, a progressive in New York City, knew so instinctively how to weaponize her race that in a moment's notice, she flipped it on like a light switch. It was built into who she is from the time she popped out of the womb. So we have to have real conversations outside of just holding Amy Cooper accountable around what are we going to substantively change in our communities? Are we actually going to address the white supremacy that is so steeped into every single part of our consciousness, so steeped that a white person like Amy Cooper could tap into it at a moment's notice. Are we gonna address bloated police budgets that continue to dump money into systems that just have random people roaming the streets with guns with absolutely no qualifications to handle many of the situations they're thrust into? Um, so I, I agree with you, I'm here for accountability. I'm here for the culture that holds uh, people like Amy Cooper to account for their actions, but I also just want to caution that that does not substitute real substantive change in our communities. And I don't want Amy Cooper to get off as being just a bad apple without us addressing white supremacy as a whole. Yeah.
So uh, I think we could go on on, the, on this specific topic. For, we should have a whole separate podcast about just this. But I also want to talk. But I also, but I also, there's another kind of um, corruption I want to talk about, and it's related to COVID nineteen. So there's a lot of new COVID nineteen news this week. A lot of new benchmarks being hit that we don't want to hit. But the thing that's really bugging me right now is the SBA data showing that a lot of the PPP loan money has gone to political insiders. A lot of it went to Mitch McConnell's wife's family company. There's there's a lot of yeah. Oh my God. Someone who I was hoping we would never uh, mention on this podcast, but here we are. (laughs) And and, and here we are. Uh, Yes. I thought I was hoping he would go away and then he managed to tweet that he's going to run for president. And then he became the news cycle for the day, which unacceptable to me on 4th of July weekend, no less. But you know, uh, what are we, what can we possibly do to make it so that this country treats our citizens the way that many European countries are treating theirs. You know, most of Europe has a really great furlough scheme that is keeping people connected to their employers. Meanwhile, here, the enhanced unemployment benefits that tens of millions of people are getting because they cannot go back to work, either for safety reasons or because those jobs just aren't there, it's going to expire at the end of the month. So what can we do to make this situation better for the working class people in this country who deserve better than what our government is giving them? Well, I, I mean, I've got to tell you, you you nailed it at the end again. It is leaders in this moment. It is a lack of leadership all across this country. You know, I'm in Florida and we have seen, uh, you know, tens of thousands of cases each day over the last week. Um, we have hospitals and ICUs that are full here in Orange County and across the state of Florida. And, and what is the common thread through all of it? We have a totally feckless governor who's incapable of doing the very basics of his job. I mean, it says in the job, govern, and he chooses not to do that. He simply throws his hands up and says, well, everybody should make good choices. I'm really concerned that this country's unadulterated obsession with propping up corporate profits instead of lifting up people has come home to roost. We're in the middle of a pandemic and we are watching it unfold right before us. I'm in the city of Orlando, we're a tourist market. Right now, people are forced to choose between being safe or putting food on the table. That should never be the situation for working people in this country. We essentially print money for our gigantic war machine that traipses the world, bombing everybody which way and left, uh, so long as there's oil on the other end of it. But we can't seem to find the very basics to lift up the people of this country when we need our government the most. Um, I'll tell you that I worked for Starbucks for many years. And in my last job, I certainly wasn't an elected official. I don't pretend to know how to do that job, but I was a a regional leader for Starbucks. um, And I had 200 plus employees in the Panama City market. And in October of 2018, we were hit by a category five hurricane. That meant that hundreds of my employees, uh, nearly all of the 200 that I had in that market were suddenly without a home. They were without food. They were without the very basics that they needed to live. Um, And you know what I did? I showed up for my team. And that's because that's what leaders do. I didn't throw my hands up and say, figure it out. I didn't throw them under the bus or disappear under my bed to cry like many of our elected officials seem to be doing today. I showed up for them. And I showed up every single day when it was good or when it was bad because that's what leaders do. Leaders rise to the challenges before us because they care not just about the outcome, but about people other than themselves. 
I'm really concerned that we have a lot of leaders in this country who care only about having a plaque on their desk that says they've been elected and not about actually helping the people that they're supposed to be serving. Yeah, we have this um, trend, this rolling trend happening in the Republican Party right now where they know how to campaign and they do not know how to govern. So that seems to be something that we're seeing Ron DeSantis, we're seeing that in Donald Trump, we're seeing that in a lot of people who know what to say on the campaign trail in order to appeal to the right people in order to get them elected. But once they're elected, they have no capacity to govern. They have no capacity for any level of compassion or understanding of what other people are going through. And mentioning Lindsey Graham again, I believe he said something to the effect of... Um, you know, that we would pass another relief package over his dead body. What does that say to people who need the help? I mean, people need help. We go through crises in, in this country and people need the help. And this is the largest crisis that we've faced in many generations. And they come up short. There's just nothing happening at the top no federal leadership. And so therefore everything is just chaos. And that's what we get. Well, and that goes back to, you know, we were talking about earlier about voting down ballot. We also need to build a backbench of people who have had local elected office and regional elected office, statewide elected office experience so that by the, by the time that we're in, they're in a place to run for something like governor, we're putting up people who actually can govern so that we're not make, we, we're not having the democratic version of a Ron DeSantis who couldn't, you know, govern his way out of a wet cardboard box. That's part of voting for in the small races. And the cool thing is, look, I understand that for most people, paying attention to, this, to small races can feel really overwhelming. But the good news is that there are organizations near you who are paying attention for you. Stonewall endorses in races up and down the ticket um, at every election cycle. And there are organizations like Stonewall across the country that share your values, that are doing the hard work of uh, vetting candidates and endorsing for you. So you can see uh, what they're about and, uh, and and vote with your values if you don't have time to go read up on every single candidate yourself. So, so you know, show up and vote, not just for the people, the races that you're paying attention to, but vote down ballot. And if you can't get, if you can't make the time to read up on all the races yourself, look for sources you can trust that do because they're there. I have one more thing I want to say, because we were going back to the SBA. And we we're talking about like uh, all of the loans that have gone out and how all of these people have received like the Kushner family received um, four loans out of this program. But a lot of the businesses in my local community in Highland Park, Los Angeles are closing, closing for good because they couldn't receive any assistance. Um, a comedy theater that was once very close to me that I performed at off and on for eight years and have a lot of friends through Upright Citizens Brigade received some of these loans took loans saying that they had to support 160 employees and then uh, immediately laid off all of those employees with no severance. So I think that we have an issue again, an issue at the top where we're absolutely not monitoring who is getting this money. And it's imperative that we start to look at who's getting the money and the organizations that have received the money. And if they're misusing those funds, 
Um, they also need to suffer some consequences as consumers. So we need to turn around and be the Karens. I will never go to Upright Citizens Brigade again. I don't know if they're ever going to reopen, but I just think that if we hear examples of that, we also need to act on that and, and hold people accountable. Well, and in order to overshadow all this piss poor leadership, you know, Donald Trump and his campaign are going all in on racism and division. His speech at Mount Rushmore was was truly disgusting, but yeah. there are there's a segment of our population that thought it was an incredible speech. They were inspired, they felt seen, they felt heard. Um, you know, I, what are we how do we respond when people that we know hear that kind of rhetoric that's meant to distract them and it's working from this horrible leadership. How do we respond to people who listen to that and go, you know what? That's my guy. I identify with him. I'm glad he's my leader. Ugh, that's the million dollar question. If you had the answer, you would be running the Lincoln project. But I think, you know, <laughs> I, I think where we're at is that that is a very small subsect of our country. I think if you ask people around the country, you know, what they think of Confederate generals and people who lost the Civil War and, you know, our era of slavery. If you ask people about the darkest parts of our history, the more they learn about it, the more they're disgusted by it. So I, I honestly feel like our energy is not spent on people who genuinely believe that we should be relitigating the Civil War uh, so much later, so much after it ended. Um, you know, those folks who want Confederate statues to stay exactly where they are and are resistant to putting them in a memorial or a museum and putting up a statue to somebody else, um, those are probably not the people that we're targeting uh, to move into our camp to, to get to vote for, you know, Joe Biden and Democrats down the ballot in November. Um, I think that the way we message this is that it is a referendum on who Donald Trump is. I genuinely believe, and I don't know if anybody else agrees with me, I believe that Donald Trump doesn't know anything about any of the things he's talking about. When Donald Trump is standing in front of Mount Rushmore and he's asking people to cheer for Andrew Jackson, I don't believe Donald Trump knows anything about who Andrew Jackson is or was uh, and, and what he stood for. So th I think this is a referendum on Donald Trump's style of leadership, which is that I simply have to have a symbol for something that I stand for that seems to poll well with my base and seems to rile up my progressive enemies. And then I'm gonna lean really hard into that. I think the way that we win that messaging battle is by calling out how totally ridiculous and ludicrous it is and asking people, appealing to people's logic and asking them to come into our camp and move the country forward. Instead of getting riled up on talking about the Civil War and Andrew Jackson and Robert E. Lee and all of these people, instead we just say, that's ridiculous. Most of the country doesn't believe that we should have army bases named after Confederate leaders, specifically when they were named 60 years after the Civil War ended. Instead, why don't we talk about healthcare? Instead, why don't we talk about race relations and criminal justice reform? Why don't we talk about real immigration reform? And we just bring people back to the progressive policies and values that are overwhelmingly popular in this country. Brandon, you asked a question earlier that Ronald Reagan asked in 1980, and it's one of the most effective campaign questions that anybody has ever asked. And that is, is your life better than it was four years ago? That's all it takes. 
ask people really is your life better than it was four years ago i mean if we're going to reach anybody it really has to be personal and we can tell our personal stories but we have to ask the personal questions of others who are up for grabs or who could be moved and swayed we want to know you know and for the most part like i know listen i looked so good four years ago now not great things are not going so so good and it's it's taken a toll on everybody so really get to the heart of that question because like that's what's going to move people yeah i mean really asking people can you imagine four more years of the last four weeks and the answer for me is absolutely not i don't know if i could survive four more years of the last four weeks this is the first time that donald trump has faced a real crisis in this country he was gift wrapped an economy that was on the rise. He was given a country that believed in hope and, and a vision for a brighter tomorrow. He was handed the best possible situation. And at the first sign of crisis, the entire country unravels under his watch. I can't imagine four more years of the last four weeks. I can barely imagine four more months of the last four weeks. And so for me, that's been the most powerful question to ask people, even those who supported Donald Trump in 2016. Can you genuinely imagine four more years of the last four weeks? And are you willing to take that risk with your livelihood? Uh, Brandon Wolf for president 2020. Um, <laughs> Not old enough just yet. Don't age me like uh, that. And no, also, it's too me. late to get on the ballot in eight states. We've done this with Kanye. You can't do it. Get out of here. But Brandon, Get let's talk here. about it at 2024, because maybe you okay. won't be old enough yet. But, you know, I, yeah, I haven't done the Joe math, Biden's a bridge candidate. I haven't done the math, but I'm assuming it'll be AOC and I'll be somewhere campaigning oh, for her. Well, I'll be on that campaign. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, but for what it's worth, Brandon, you look great for 22. Oh, all right. right. Thank you. All right. Wow. I'm, I'm coming back all the, time. I'm coming back all the time. I'm coming back all the time. So, uh, uh, Here's the, I just want to I just want to say one thing. So I grew up in Tennessee. Lamar Alexander, uh, retiring U.S. senator from Tennessee, isn't going to the Republican National Convention, which is, by the way, still happening in person because he wants to let somebody who hasn't ever been a delegate yet have that experience because he's been going for the last 40 years. What's actually happening is he's 80 something <laughs> years old and he Total doesn't want to get the goddamn coronavirus. Yeah. Right. He doesn't want, and, and so all these Republicans are like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna go or not. And what they're really saying is, my president has led us into the depths of despair with this virus and I can't risk being in public so I'm just going to be altruistic. And one of you youngsters get to go in my place. I, I just, you know, I'm so glad he's retiring. I wish we could replace him with a Democrat in Tennessee. We probably can't, but whatever. It's fine. Uh, you know what? It isn't fine. Do better, Tennessee. Um, I'm just glad I got out. Uh, so I would like to soapbox. Are you all ready to soapbox? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So I, my soapbox, I, uh, I, I was afraid you were going to like give away my whole soapbox, Alex, but you didn't, you just alluded to it. So you foreshadowed my soapbox, which is the, um, are you ready for this? Um, it's the, the national popular vote interstate compact. So oh. um, it's the thing that Alex was talking about earlier. Huh. Several states have uh, passed a law that says that their, that state's electoral votes go to the uh, winner of the popular vote, regardless of the winner of the uh, vote in that given state, right? So all we need left are 88 more electoral votes for this to become a thing, because once 270 or more electoral votes are represented by states that have 
enacted this law. It's just done. And because of a Supreme Court ruling this week, it can't be challenged. We don't have to worry about it falling apart in the courts. It's a done deal. So we elect Democrats this fall, enough Democrats in state legislatures and governor's mansions, we can get through the rest of these 88 electoral votes. And then we effectively elect president of uh, the president by the, uh, by the ele uh, popular vote going forward. And uh, I mean, I just, I, don't know, I just, I can't believe we haven't done this yet, but you can check out more about it at nationalpopularvote.com. Lots of details. They even have maps and graphs, which are some of my favorite things in the world. So that's my soapbox. Uh, I'm going to go counterclockwise on my screen too. Jonathan, what's on your soapbox? Alex Mohajer took my soapbox as well um, because he was talking about the you what is bitch. happening. What is happening for like two minutes on this entire <laughs> broadcast? And I it was the it. most <laughs> important two minutes yes. on here. <laughs> take note, John. Take note, Jonathan. I'm a spoiler. Okay, but come on. Yeah, <laughs> I know you. You were so oddly quiet because you were talking about the Karens, but I have a backup. Um, no, it's okay. I have a backup. I just have to ask a quick question of my co-hosts on this podcast that I produce. Is it okay for me to mention a candidate that Stonewall has not endorsed you can as my own with, personal? This is your is own your, personal this view. Your, this is your okay. editorial commentary not representing the Stonewall Democratic Club. Kids, I'm from Massachusetts and the most progressive senator in the United States Senate is about to be primaried out of office by a moderate. And it is really concerning me. So September 1st is the Massachusetts Senate primary in which Ed Markey, who is the author of the Green New Deal, is going up against Joe Kennedy III, who is the grandson of RFK. And I am a huge fan of the Kennedys, but in this case, we we have to defend the incumbent and I'm hoping that people will go take a look at Ed Markey. And if you are in Massachusetts or know people in Massachusetts, please have the conversation about how we need to protect Ed Markey in the United States Senate. Of course, if Joe Kennedy does win that primary, then Democrats hold the seat and that's fantastic. Um, but I think it would be a huge loss and I would love to see some support for Senator Markey, who was also once my congressman and is a wonderful man. I just want to say though, I have such a crush on Kennedy. Like he's he's just so oh, he's like super hot. Listen, <laughs> super you hot. You guys are gross, and I can't. He's, I'm with you, Brandon. <laughs> he's my fellow he's, okay. ginger. No, no, no. You know he's what's my fellow hot? ginger? You know what's hot? Progressive policies, the Green New Deal. That's hot. Yeah. Okay, yeah. come on. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Listen, You're right. And I just and is I, way hotter to me. <laughs> I just proved. I just proved that I would sleep with you know with anyone but not just um, about anyone but we already knew that <laughs> oh okay alex is there anything uh, that you that you have left that you haven't taken from someone else's soapbox to share uh you know my soapbox this week is for kanye west and here's why <laughs> <laughs> we've touched it we've touched on it but here's the thing. <laughs> my soapbox this week is for kanye west did I say something? Is it he's, been, he's been on a soapbox for what, 10 years now? Does he really Listen, need another one tonight? Oh. Well, you know, here's, here's what I'll say. Everybody, Kanye West is an avowed Trump supporter. Okay. This was a very calculated move that was orchestrated by the Trump administration to try to sway independent and young voters away from uh, from Joe Biden in November. That's all it is. And please wise up and open up your eyes. I'm actually concerned about it because we lose and win presidential elections with just a couple of votes in districts. 
across the country. It comes down to just a couple of votes. The, the 2016 presidential election was decided by 77,000 votes in three states. 136 million people voted. It was less than one a fraction of a percent that, that decided that election. So just enough people who are pissed off at the system, who see Kanye West say he's going to run, and if he gets on just a few statewide ballots for November and picks off just a few votes, that's enough to spoil the election. And I have just too much 2016 PTSD to give a shit about Kanye West and whatever antics he's pulling. So Kanye, sit down, shut up, and let everybody else run this election. And, and frankly, what a petty, low, and stupid move. And he's a Trump supporter. So if you care about moving this president out of the White House, if you care, please understand the presidential election is between two people and you got to vote accordingly. And if you want to go out, if you want to get out there and cast a protest vote, just don't just call it what it is. You're voting for Trump. OK, if you want to vote for a third party at a protest, just call it what it is. You're a Trump voter. Don't tell me you're a protest voter. Don't tell me you're a third party voter. You're casting vote your vote for Trump and at least wear it on your sleeve and be open about it. No shame, no game. You're voting for Trump. You're voting for Trump. But why don't you just say that out loud? And that is what you're doing if you're voting third party anywhere in a presidential election, especially in 2020. And that's my soapbox for the day. I need a drink. All right. I, have, I don't drink. So I don't have I'm the luxury happy. of doing that. So there we go. It's me and my period. That's all I get. <laughs> I've, uh, I've got I've got Coke Zero in a sippy cup. Because um, <laughs> I'm a suburban mom. I'm going to put some rum in there later, though. Um, uh, yes. Okay. So, Brandon, what's on your soapbox? Well, you know, my soapbox is I love the Kanye piece, but my soapbox is uh, is around voting, and it's around voting down ballot. You know, I think we have a an opportunity right now. Um, we have an opportunity to learn and more deeply understand, learn more about and more deeply understand this country's journey, its history, all the dark and light of it, and to use that newfound knowledge uh, to demand better on every level of government. So I'm just imploring people right now that they should understand what this country is, that they should understand that the education system that taught you that Christopher Columbus was a nice guy, and that Rosa Parks was just a little old lady resting her weary feet. That same educational system is the one that erased Juneteenth from the history books. It's the same educational system that didn't talk about the fact that Native Americans couldn't vote in all 50 states until the 1960s in this country. Our educational system, our economic structure, our political system, every single piece of it is steeped in white supremacy, in racism, in oppression, and so it is so important right now that we understand and we know more about it. And once we have that knowledge that we get engaged locally, the reality is that if you believe that a school system should teach young people who this country is and who we always have been so they can turn around and go and make it better, then you have to vote for school board members who agree with you and hold them accountable. If you believe in redefining what safe communities look like, so they don't leave whole segments of our population behind or continue to respond to every situation simply with someone with a gun breaking down the wrong door, then you have to vote for city and county commissioners with the imagination and political courage to stop pouring money into the status quo. If you believe that we should have increased access to healthcare, if you believe that teachers should be paid a livable wage instead of having to work two or three jobs to make ends meet and buy their own supplies, you got to vote for state legislators who believe the same thing you do and hold them accountable. 
So my soapbox today is that all elections matter. All races matter. And in this moment, it's important that we be engaged in all of them with the same passion that we're engaged in the presidential election. We have to use this moment, this moment, this national dialogue around race, this national dialogue around health, to educate ourselves about who this country is, who we always have been, and force ourselves to get more engaged than we ever have been in order to make it better for the future. Mm. We got 120 days. 120 days. We can do this. Mm. Thank you, Brandon. Brandon, uh, since you're, you may be new to some of our audience, where can they find you? You can find me on social media. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Wolf. I'm sorry for all of the stuff you might read on there. It's a little unfiltered. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Brandon J. Wolf. Uh, and then, of course, all of my opinions tonight have been my own, but I work for Equality Florida, which is our state's largest LGBTQ civil rights organization. So check out Equality Florida while you're there. Mm, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week, Brandon. We would love to have you back. Uh, I still think you should run for president in some race. We'll get there. We'll get there at some point. Uh, I'm Ryan Basham. My co-hosts are Jonathan Welch and Alex Mahajar. Our special guest this week has been Brandon Wolf. Uh, this podcast is um, a, I don't know what Alex is pointing at his at. Yeah. But okay. How about that? Alex, where can people find you on the socials? I was, po I was pointing at Brandon. Oh, okay. But also, okay. Let's, since we're, since we're on it, Alex, what's your social media handles? You can find me everywhere at Alex Mohajer. It's a Persian last name and it means immigrants. So there it is. Ooh. And Jonathan, where can folks find you? Uh, at Jonathan B. Welch. It's an Irish last name. It means juice. <laughs> <laughs> I am so ready to drink. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. Well, my I'm at Ryan Basham on all the social medias. My last name is English and it means physical abuse. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you're welcome for that. I know my dark sense of humor is going to catch up with me one day. Da -da -da. So thank you for joining us this week. We try to do our best. This was our first si both live broadcast taping first live and broadcast. So first live broadcast. And so what, what's going to happen going forward is Tuesday nights. We're going to be doing our live broadcast on video on our, on Facebook and YouTube. And then on Wednesdays, podcast episodes drop. So we would love it for Facebook. you. At the Stonewall Democratic Club. At Stonewall Democratic Club. Yes, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And we'd also love it if you could please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else podcasts are found. Thank you for joining us once again. Thank you once again to our special guest, Brandon Wolf. And until next time, get out there and...